Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's another great day for wellness, and this is Bones bringing the packs of F3 Nation the latest strategies and tips to accelerate their king and optimize their queen. Health is a journey and requires you to take a proactive approach on a daily basis. Knowing exactly what to do and how to do it will help you achieve it faster. Each week, we are going to be interviewing the leading health and wellness experts, sharing inspiring stories from the packs, and diving into the latest research to help you optimize your health. So get ready as we embark on your hunt for wellness. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Well, welcome back to another edition of the Hunt for Wellness podcast. This is Dr. Tunis Hunt, uh, otherwise known as Bones in the Gloom. And Pax, I am super excited about today's episode and just an opportunity to share with you about a subject that I think um, a lot of people need more information about uh, that, unfortunately, uh, many may struggle with. And certainly it's an epidemic in our society. And so what I wanted to do today is share with you what I consider the five biggest mistakes that people make when it comes to getting a good night's sleep. And so um, I've shared tips about sleep in the past on the COT podcast. I've talked about it maybe in previous episodes. Other guests have uh, offered some advice when it comes to sleep. But I kind of wanted just to take a, an entire show here and just share with you some information that I believe will be helpful for those of you that maybe aren't maximizing the sleep that you want. Uh, maybe you have loved ones that aren't getting a good night's sleep, and, and maybe this can really kind of help them and you uh, improve that sleep. And so just a disclaimer right off the top of the show here. Um, I follow a lot of health and nutrition people uh, out there and, and, and a lot of good advice uh, I've learned over the years. So none of this information I'm going to share is, is new under the sun. It's things that I've heard. And, and really, um, more specifically, I, I heard a podcast recently um, from a gentleman named Sean Stevenson. He has a show called the uh, uh, Model Health Show. 
And uh, I've listened to Sean for a few years now. Um, and uh, he's just shared some great information over time. And he wrote a book several years ago called Better, Better Sleep. And it's just a, uh, a good uh, guide and manual on how to maximize this. And he recently did a podcast where he did very similar tips to, to what I'm going to share. And it kind of just sparked my interest to, to maybe relay some of that information. I certainly agreed with everything he had to say um, about uh, the mistakes. So some of the things I'm going to be saying is something that uh, you could also hear on his podcast, a, a recent one, The Model Health Show. And uh, if you haven't ever checked that out, uh, do so and um, you know, give him a listen as well. Uh, he's serving uh, the health and wellness community great and somebody that I think you guys should really dial into and listen to. Um, so why do we need to talk about sleep? Why is sleep so important? Um, well, first of all, it is really our body's opportunity to rest and restore. Without it, our body continues to break down. It continues to deteriorate. There's an aspect out there called um, catabolic and anabolic. Um, and really what catabolic means is when it's kind of the breakdown state. And that happens when we're awake. It happens when we exercise. And it's not a bad thing. We need to, to, to tear down things to build back. But uh, it is something if we don't allow the opposite to happen, which is the anabolic state, then we just deteriorate and our health um, continues to decline. So we need this anabolic aspect of our health as well. And that happens a lot of times when we're sleeping. In fact, it happens at a higher rate when we sleep than any other time in our in, in, in the day. There's something called glymphatic cells um, that are in our body, and they're 10 times more active when we sleep. And this is what our body uses um, to kind of clean house, if you will, uh, clean up waste, uh, clean up you know, inflammation. And so it happens when we're sleeping at a 10 times rate than when we're awake. So that's why while we're sleeping, we're getting that benefit. So sleep is important. According to the CDC, uh, sleep deprivation or lack of quality sleep is an epidemic. Uh, according to their statistics, about 115 million Americans suffer from sleep deprivation. And that's a lot of people to be walking around cranky. Maybe some of us do that as well. And there's a big difference between high quality sleep and just quote unquote passing out or being in bed with our eyes shut. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure many of you have maybe experienced this as well. When you wake up in the morning, you still feel droggy. You don't feel well rested. Um, you know, you might feel that wired, but tired um, sensation. And that's because the quality of the sleep that you're getting isn't where it needs to be. And that's some of the things that we're going to talk about. Possibly there's some things you're doing on a daily basis that's just inhibiting some of that high or that real deep quality sleep that our body needs to, to, to rest and restore. Also, when we sleep, um, we have things like hormones um, produced. Uh, it really kind of helps make adjustments to what we call our circadian rhythm. I'm going to get in that into a little bit more detail as we go along here, but, uh, you know, our bodies kind of work on this natural clock that's synced into really the solar system and how the earth is going around the sun and how the sun rises 
and lowers on a daily basis. And our body's really tuned into that. And um, unfortunately, because of our busy lives, our artificial lighting, our stimulants that we use, we do a really good job of messing that natural cycle off. And therefore, it results in inability to really fall into a deep sleep and certainly wake up feeling rested and repaired the way we want to. And so what we want to do is daily take action steps to improve our sleep. So I'm going to go over some of those today and just kind of share with you what I believe are the five biggest mistakes that people are making when it comes to getting a really good night's sleep. So the first one is this, it's not getting natural light in the morning. So that's right. Uh, the quality of your sleep actually starts when you wake up. Uh, so when we get up in the morning, our body is designed to see the sun, really. Um, that natural light, that bright light of the sun uh, in the morning hours, you know, specifically around 6 a.m. to 8.30 a.m., if you will, is designed to send cues into our brain that really kickstarts or keeps what we call our circadian rhythm clock uh, on track. And when we fail to give our body that stimulant, when we fail to give our body that natural light um, direction, then that can delay or offset that circadian rhythm, where then will affect the way we sleep, the, the energy that we have in the morning, and really kind of our overall hormone production. So, and, and there's a difference between getting bright light that is artificially made and getting the actual uh, light with all the different uh, gamma ray rays from the actual sun. So what sunlight does is it cues special areas in our brain that kickstarts that circadian, what we call pacemaker. And there's a place in your brain, uh, in, a, in a special place called the hypothalamus called the suprachiasmatic nucleus or the SCN. And when light kind of travels through that pathway and hits that area or that nucleus in our brain, it really kind of stimulates that's what we call a circadian pacemaker, which causes our body to release a hormone called cortisol. And then that allows the body to kind of kick into what we call the circadian rhythm. Uh, in addition to producing cortisol, um, it also produces a hormone called serotonin. And some of you may have heard of serotonin before because it's kind of like a, uh, it's a neurotransmitter actually that allows our brain to um, help with relaxation and cognitive uh, issues, but it also is a precursor to another hormone called melatonin. And you may be familiar with the term melatonin because it's a popular supplement when it comes to sleep. So all that to say that actually the melatonin that your body needs to have at night to fall asleep is created by a hormone or neurotransmitter called serotonin that is stimulated by getting sunlight in the eye first thing in the morning. So as you can kind of see, this all works together. So the things that you do first thing in the morning is actually going to affect how you're going to be able to fall asleep at night. Now, most of us, if you're an F3 guy, you're out in the gloom and you're out there exercising, which is important. But 
I know in our region, a lot of times our exercise or our routine, we're done with COT before the sun's even up. And so we're coming back home in the dark and therefore, you know, not actually outside in the sunlight. So what I'm going to encourage you to do is if that's the case, to go back outside between those hours of 6.30 or 8.30, depending on when the sun's rising in your region, and get that natural sunlight in your eyes. So this also speaks to another common mistake people make is they wear sunglasses that actually prevents that natural light from getting into that retina. So again, I'm not saying you can never wear sunglasses, but it, there is a benefit to actually getting sun exposure in your eye outside of wearing the sunglasses. So I personally have a rule of thumb for the most part that I never wear sunglasses prior to noon, um, just so that if I am out in the sun or I am out, um, you know, getting that, that sunshine, that uh, my body's maximizing that sunlight exposure into my retina and into my eye. Now, you don't have to stare at the sun. Uh, just getting kind of the ambient light in the atmosphere uh, is a good thing. Having said that, I have shared a tip before uh, about what they call sun gazing. And there is some research that goes that uh, if you're able to kind of gently stare at the sun in the early mornings of the day and in the late evening hours, as the sun's kind of transitioning over the horizon, then there is some uh, benefits to that. Now, again, I'm not saying to go out and stare at the sun because we can damage our eyes, but getting sunlight in the eye is not a bad thing. In fact, there's been research around someone's ability to, to get sunburned and not having the proper light uh, information in the eye. So for instance, uh, if you're out on the beach or, or the lake or the pool and you're wearing sunglasses, your body's going to be less responsive to the burn in the system than if you are wear or not wearing sunglasses. Uh, and people tend to burn less when they don't wear sunglasses than when they do wear sunglasses. So anyway, take that with a grain of salt. Again, I'm not saying you can't ever wear sunglasses or there's not a time and place to wear them. I'm just suggesting that it's okay to have some sunlight in your eye. Um, not only um, is it a good way of kind of kickstarting your day and getting that cortisol, but it's actually having other benefits hormonally in, in the system as well. Now, as far as the sunlight goes, there is some research that shows that actually getting it um, unfiltered is the best way of getting it versus let's say through a window. Um, if you're in an office space or if you're in a position and getting sunlight through a window, those windows are still have tinting uh, aspects and, uh, and ways of taking out some of those rays. So you're not getting as much of the um, benefit if you're just getting sun exposure through a window. So really getting out into the sun uh, allowing your eyes to, to get that uh, feedback is, is optimal. And so if you're in a job, for instance, let's say you go into work and it's dark when you go in, um, schedule a little break first thing in the morning and that first couple hours of the day to at least go out and get that sun exposure. And all you really need is about 15 minutes. Uh, you know, they really have shown that about 15 minutes is enough to really kickstart 
what they call that um, circadian rhythm that jumpstarts the energy. So let me just take a few moments and talk about circadian rhythm. And circadian rhythm is kind of the natural energy flow of the body. Um, cortisol, which is released by your adrenal glands, um, is kind of your fight or flight hormone. And so what that means is it gets stimulated to give you energy, to give you the ability to fight off an attack or flee a dangerous scenario. And um, it's the highest first thing in the morning. It's kind of like the jolt, the kickstart to get your, your engine going for the day. And then what it does is it naturally decreases throughout the day and is at the very lowest in the evening to allow you to fall asleep. And so the other hormone that works uh, inversely to cortisol is melatonin. So as cortisol goes down in the day, melatonin will start to rise in the evening, which allows us to fall asleep. But if, mel but if cortisol is not kick-started first thing in the morning, then there's a likelihood that melatonin won't be as kick-started in the evening. So that's where people struggle with falling asleep because they're not getting that cortisol kick first thing in the morning. Um, and, uh, some of that's because they're not getting that sunlight, that natural uh, clock, if you will, uh, stimulator to get the body going. Now, there's other things that um, stimulate cortisol. Uh, one is exercise. So those of us that get up early in the morning and post, um, that's a great way of getting that internal clock going. And that's why a lot of times uh, guys prior to F3 may have struggled with going to sleep in the evening, but don't anymore because they're finding themselves not not only getting up earlier but they're also stimulating that cortisol first thing in the morning which is also kind of creating a more balanced circadian rhythm so that when the evening does come they're able to fall asleep a little bit better so anyway uh we want that circadian rhythm to be on on track and one of the easiest ways to make sure that we're getting that is getting that sunlight in the morning and not avoiding it um, like, unfortunately, some people do. We get in front of our um, screens and, um, you know, we get inside of our fluorescent lighting all day and we're not getting that natural sun exposure. And by the way, that sun exposure, actually, there's receptors in our skin. So getting um, receptors in our skin um, is also important. So allowing that sunshine to touch our skin, especially first thing in the morning, um, is a fantastic way of getting the body going for the day. So let's move on to the second mistake that people make that's sabotaging their sleep. And that is a diet, uh, eating and drinking things that affect their sleep. So, you know, believe it or not, the choices that we make about the food that we eat and the drinks that we consume do play a big role in our quality of sleep. So what are things that hurt our sleep? Well, first and foremost is added sugar. That's right, the sweet stuff. And so most of us know that sugar is not good for us, period. But they have actually showed research where people are losing quality sleep as a result of eating sugar. In fact, one study showed objectively that participants had one hour less of quality sleep than those participants who didn't have added sugar into their diet. And objective meaning that they used 
um, uh, tools and so forth to monitor the actual sleep versus just someone's perception of sleep. So, I mean, if someone said, oh, I slept eight hours, well, objectively speaking, you may have only slept you know, six or, or, or seven. But on average, they showed that those that consumed sugar, added sugar, whether it's in our food or in our drink, had one hour less of quality sleep than those individuals that chose not to consume those things. So sugars and everything, guys, you guys know that you got to read labels. When you're looking at labels, anything that ends in OSE is a sugar source. So really be vigilant about that. That's the importance of whole foods, eating your protein sources, the healthy fats, the vegetables, the fruit, and so forth. Now, natural sugar, um, you know, that's okay. You're going to be exposed to things like honey or uh, sugar that's found in fruit, for instance, um, seem not to be the issue. Uh, we're really talking about that refined sugar and certainly the added sugar um, that is so uh, prevalent in our society today. So one thing that we want to avoid is that sugar. The second thing is alcohol. Now, I know some people say, well, I get, you know, I pass out or I fall asleep faster when I do drink some alcohol. And that may be the case, but there's a difference again be between passing out and falling asleep and getting high quality sleep. Uh, the truth is you don't really get that restorative sleep um, and that healing sleep when we consume alcohol. In fact, um, a study showed that those individuals who drank moderately had a decrease in restorative sleep by 24%. And those that drank uh, higher volumes actually had a decrease of 40% of restorative sleep. And we've all been there most likely. Uh, we've consumed some beverages and the next day you don't feel as well rested, uh, regardless of how long you spent in bed or how long you quote unquote were asleep overnight. And that's because again, you're not able to get into that deep restorative sleep uh, as a result of the alcohol consumption. So we have different brain waves. We have something called the beta brain wave, and that's kind of when we're awake uh, and alert then you can go into what they call the alpha. And that's still an awake state, but more in that kind of flow state, um, if you will, uh, subconscious, conscious. And then you can go into what they call the theta state. And theta is that really close transition into a sleep state. Um, it, it can be attributed to things like hypnosis. Um, children, uh, by the way, typically are in this theta state more often, and they're just more impressionable uh, in this state. And this is why maybe kids, um, you know, as children, we believe a lot of things that we don't believe as adults because uh, we're not using those brainwaves as much. And then we can go into some deep sleep, um, what we call the delta uh, waves. And that's really that restorative sleep. It's, it's the non-REM sleep, uh, but it's that deep sleep. And that's where we're not getting into when we're doing some of that um, alcohol and then certainly into the REM sleep itself. And, and in REM sleep is where we dream. It's where we implant memory. And those are the aspects of sleep that we just don't get when we are consuming alcohol, certainly in a moderate or a high capacity. Um, so that's part of the process. And so speaking of hangovers, hangovers, for instance, you know, a lot of times people talk about uh, hangover being a cause of the alcohol consumption. And that is true. Our body has to detoxify it. Our body 
doesn't want alcohol in the system. In fact, it's very toxic to our system. And so when we drink alcohol, our body has to divert all its energy and resources into clearing it out. So other processes are, um, uh, you know, not able to be as efficiently ran when the body has to deal with the alcohol that we drink. So another reason why we really should do that in moderation. But uh, what I was going with that is, you know, some of the hangover feeling isn't just the alcohol consumption, but because you didn't have great sleep the night before, or when we wake up in an unrested state. And lastly, it's the hydration factor. Um, unfortunately, um, if we're not hydrating ourselves enough when we're consuming alcohol, then that can lead to some of the issue as well. So it's always a good rule of thumb to make sure you're hydrating a lot when you're um, consuming alcohol, because that can help flush out the system um, and make the, the effects of it less. So the other thing that we do um, that can inhibit our quality of sleep is caffeine. So before you freak out, I'm not saying you can't drink coffee. I'm just suggesting that too much caffeine or caffeine at the wrong time of the day can inhibit your quality of sleep. Caffeine has a half-life of six hours. And so what that means is after six hours drinking caffeine, you will still have half that amount in your system. So the later in the day that you drink caffeine, the more likely that caffeine level will still be high when it comes time to go to bed. And so what, what, what's the big deal about that? Well, caffeine is a stimulant to cortisol. So we talked about cortisol being that internal clock, that circadian rhythm uh, pacemaker, if you will, that needs to be highest in the morning and then lower during the day so that the other hormone, melatonin, can be made so that you can fall asleep. Well, if you're consuming caffeine too late in the day, you're artificially spiking that cortisol later in the day, throwing that rhythm off, and then also suppressing the ability for that melatonin to raise up in the nighttime so that you can fall asleep and have that deep quality sleep. Now, Every person is different. People metabolize caffeine differently. So some people are going to be much more sensitive than others. And so there might be some of you who say, well, you know, I can drink coffee after dinner and still get a good night's sleep. Okay, great. That, that's unique to you. I will say that's probably because your body has built up such a tolerance to it that yeah, it no longer knows how to properly uh, deal with it. But at the same time, you know, Every one of us is made different. This is not a one size fits all. I will suggest, however, if you are somebody who struggles with going to bed, if you are somebody who's struggling to get a good restful sleep, then evaluating your caffeine intake um, would be the first thing I did. So I personally have a rule of thumb that I don't consume any type of caffeinated beverage after 10 a.m. because I find that if I do, I do struggle with my sleep. And um, unfortunately, that is just something I'm not willing to sacrifice. So um, despite how good tasting a cappuccino is after dinner or something later in the day, uh, I find that uh, I have to skip it because it will affect my sleep. So so what are some things that we can eat or drink that helps us fall asleep? 
you may have heard the term tryptophan. Tryptophan is kind of famously known uh, around Thanksgiving because it's found in Turkey. It's that uh, uh, amino acid really that um, uh, has some sedation uh, effects, uh, if you will. And so, uh, but it doesn't have to just be around our, our, um, our Thanksgiving meal that we can talk about it. Other food sources that have tryptophan, uh, in addition to turkey, is chicken, lobster, eggs, cheese, and chocolate. So those are things that we can be consuming um, to make sure that we're getting plenty of tryptophan. Uh, having good levels of vitamin C is also important when it comes to nutrients for the building blocks of, of going to sleep. So obviously our citrusy fruits and, and some of our green leafy vegetables have vitamin C. And then the, the one supplement that has really gained a lot of um, popularity and is very useful when it comes to getting good night's sleep is magnesium. And I've shared before that I personally take a magnesium um, supplement, if you will, uh, in the evenings before I go to bed. I use a little powdered form and there's different types of magnesium out there. Um, different forms of magnesium. I personally use one that's a combination of a few uh, because I've found that that just works better for me. But uh, I take a little bit right before I go to bed and it has seemed to help improve the quality of my sleep as well. But you can get magnesium naturally. You can get it in our food sources. You can get it in things like avocados, pumpkin seeds, uh, dark chocolate, almonds, and of course, leafy greens. So those are things in our dietary things that we want to make sure that we're getting enough of and avoiding those things like the added sugar, too much alcohol, and then maybe too much caffeine or caffeine at the wrong time. So moving right along, the number three mistake people make is raising their cortisol too late in the evening or too high in the evening. And so we've kind of already touched on this already a little bit. Uh, when I talked about caffeine a minute ago, we talked about what cortisol is, why we don't want it to be high. Um, but things that keep cortisol high, of course, is um, things like a poor diet or eating something sugary or caffeinated in the evening. The other thing that can keep uh, uh, cortisol high is high levels of stress. Uh, so when we're highly stressed, that raises our cortisol. So if we're doing something um, or being encountered by a stressful scenario later in the day, that can also uh, inhibit um, our, our cortisol or, or, excuse me, keep the cortisol levels artificially high and prevent that melatonin uh, raise. Um, exercising too late in the day can also be a problem. So we talked about exercise as a natural way of increasing cortisol to kind of kick off the day. And, you know, those of us that post in the gloom, this shouldn't be a problem for us, but I know there are AOs that post in the evening. I know here locally, we have a few, or if we're doing some kind of CSOP, something that's going to put us in a later date or later time with exercise, then um, that may artificially raise our cortisol levels uh, and inhibit a good night's sleep. So just kind of be uh, um, careful of that. Having lights on or having um, you know, devices on too late in the day. So high power lights in our home, uh, not allowing that natural um, dimness to occur in the evening. So you know, ancestrally speaking, before we had artificial lighting, you know, basically the light we had was the sun 
It would come up in the morning and it would go down at night. And if we had any light in the evening, it was by fire, uh, whether candle or an actual campfire. And, you know, they, it wasn't this bright fluorescent light, um, blue light, if you will, that kind of high power keep us up. So, you know, in the evening, it's not a bad idea to have lights that dim or keep the lights dim. Um, they even make special light bulbs out there. I know some, some real fanatics out there that actually put what they, uh, a red light uh, in their home, red uh, that allows them to have light, but it inhibits any of that fluorescent light um, or some of those other waves of light from um, in affecting their melatonin production. So just be careful of that. The other thing that people may do that stimulates their cortisol is watch something or read something that's, you know, thrilling or uh, in that genre of, of, of kind of getting your blood pumping, if you will. So if you're watching a show or a movie or something that has a little bit more action or a little more thriller to it, that could artificially raise your cortisol levels and affect the way you sleep. So just kind of be careful about that. And that actually includes sports. So one of the things that I found over the years, if I want a good night's sleep, is I sometimes will uh, avoid watching a sports competition in the evening and instead maybe watch it the next day or just, you know, succumb to the idea of just watching the highlights the next day. Um, because as a result of a thrilling uh, sports um, competition, your blood pumps, your cortisol gets going, and um, you know maybe something that inhibits you for that good night's sleep. Now, if it's the weekend or it's something once in a while, it's probably not a big deal. But if you're finding yourself on a you know nightly and, and or certainly weekly basis staying up or watching some kind of thrilling sports competition, it may start affecting the way you sleep. So just FYI on that. Another thing um, is, of course, social media, um, that classic check your post, uh, check your email right before bed is one of the worst things that you can do. Um, because again, um, there's a likelihood that you're going to read or, or see something that may stimulate um, a visceral reaction from you, whether it's upsetting or enjoyable, but it could play a role in how you fall asleep and wind down for the evening. And then eating too late actually can also be something that can keep your cortisol levels uh, elevated um, uh, improperly. So every time we eat, um, our body has to go into production mode or, or, or start the work, and that takes energy, and that requires energy for our body to break down that food and store it properly. And so if we're eating too close to bedtime, it can actually raise that cortisol level. And they actually did some studies and it was interesting. They showed that those individuals who are actually overweight and obese, they actually had a 51% higher spike in their cortisol level in comparison to those individuals with normal body weight. So that even speaks to those 
uh, of you that may be struggling with your weight, why it's not a good idea to eat too late in the evening or certainly too close to your bedtime because your cortisol levels are actually getting even higher spiked, which would then inhibit a good night's sleep and allowing that proper circadian rhythm uh, to move forward. So anyway, that's uh, number three. We don't want to raise our cortisol too late in the evening. Number four, it is raising your body temperature too high at night. So I think I've shared this before uh, on previous tips, but really the temperature that you fall asleep in makes a huge impact in the quality of your sleep. So uh, the research uh, has shown that the ideal temperature for sleep is around 62 to 68 degrees Fahrenheit. That's about the proper temperature. So you get too much colder than that, and then you know your body uh, isn't comfortable and it's too low. And then of course, if you're higher than that, then your body just doesn't allow that deep sleep to occur. Now, again, I recognize that there are exceptions out there, but for the most part, this is true for most people. So we fall asleep as a result of our core temperature decreasing. So in the evening, the better and more efficient we can reduce our core body temperature, the faster we're going to fall asleep and the deeper we're going to fall asleep. So in my house, for instance, um, we own a couple of uh, smart thermostats, which allow my air conditioning to kick on um, prior to my bedtime with enough time to start cooling down my bedroom to be that perfect 67 degrees uh, when it's time for me to go to sleep. So whatever time that is for you, whatever time you choose that bedtime is. Uh, and again, my rule of thumb is anytime before 10 p.m. is optimal. Once you start getting after 10 p.m., you start messing up with that circadian rhythm. But um, you know, an hour or an hour and a half, depending on the heat in the home, as far as the temperature outside the house, rather, um, you're going to want to start cooling down the bedroom to that 67 degree or 68 degree or, or lower. So that's what we do in our home to kind of help keep that temperature uh, on the lower end. Now, the other uh, people uh, thing that people will do to raise their body temperature is they wear too much clothing or too warm of clothing. And this is a common mistake people make is they, um, you know, in an effort to feel comfortable initially in bed, they will put on something comfortable or warm uh, only to have it um, become a problem later on in the evening. And you'll sweat or, or you won't have a deep sleep because you're just overheated. So again, um, you know, to each their own on that, but uh, uh, we do want to make sure that our body core temperature is, is reducing. Um, in fact, they did one study on insomniacs, uh, people that really struggle with sleep. They fitted them for cooling caps and they put cooling caps on their head and they found that those that suffered with insomnia, insomnia actually fell asleep uh, more efficiently and effectively than those individuals who had never even struggled with sleep. So here you are, people that just clinically and classically could not sleep well, used a cooling cap, allow the, 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 the head to be cooled, and then therefore slept better than those individuals who had never even struggled with sleep to, to start with. So it just kind of speaks to the the idea that uh, we do want to reduce that core temperature. Um, we do want a cool bedroom. 
Um, I understand that you may have a spouse that uh, may be wired a little bit differently. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with using some, some good comforters or um, using socks on the feet or, or whatever that may help keep that core temperature uh, where it needs to be for that individual, but you do want to lower that temperature in the bedroom. Which brings me to my last tip um, or, or mistake that most people are making that they want to avoid, and that is using technology or light emitting devices too close to bedtime. All right, well, this should not be a surprise to anyone that staring at our phone, at our tablets, and even our televisions affect our sleep and certainly the quality of sleep. So I think I've shared some of these tips in the past, but really first and foremost, we want to create what we call a curfew, a screen time curfew. And the rule of thumb really should be anywhere between 30 to 60 minutes prior to your bedtime, you wanna stop looking at these devices. Um, there's a light in these devices called blue light, uh, which unfortunately stimulates areas of the retina, which produces that cortisol and inhibits that melatonin production. So when we're looking at these devices later in the day, it's really just kind of throwing off that circadian rhythm and that production of melatonin, which we're not going to be able to um, enjoy as far as falling asleep soundly and efficiently. It also shows that not only is the melatonin not produced the night that you want to go to bed, but it affects the cortisol production in the morning. It actually delays it. So instead of getting that jolt at, at the proper time, it kind of delays it and jolts it later. So it kind of gives you, it throws off that circadian rhythm, another reason why you want to avoid that. And so this is anything that you're choosing to look at with that you know, emitted light, especially that backlight, if you will. Um, so tablets, phones, and so forth. So I have people tell me, well, I read on my phone or I, I read on my iPad or, or my tablet. And unfortunately, even those things um, can be detrimental to that sleep. So um, I've been a big fan of that good old fashioned book, uh, paper, uh, you know, uh, in my bedroom. In fact, in our bedroom, uh, we have a no cell phone policy. We don't have a television in our bedroom uh, for all those reasons. Uh, we don't want that light disturbing our sleep. And there's other factors like electronic magnetic fields and stuff that come off those devices. But that's just kind of our rule of thumb. And it really just allows that bedroom to become that sanctuary that we, that we really want. Um, uh, when it comes to, to going to sleep. So really one of the worst things guys that you could be doing is having the television on in your bedroom when you're trying to go to sleep. I mean, that is just one of the worst ways of el eliciting a good night's sleep and certainly having it on while you sleep. I mean, there's just research after research that shows that you're not able to really get into that deeper sleep or that REM sleep when that light is flickering, even uh, behind your eyelids, um, they have actually shown that light on the skin um, plays a big role. Uh, they did one study, actually, Cornell did a study where they put a little uh, illuminated object. It was about the size of a quarter, and they tucked it behind someone's knee, like they had it, they placed it behind the knee, and they put these people in, in extremely dark rooms. 
And then they saw that the body actually registered that light intake and it affected the hormone production. And so it just kind of shows that our skin absorbs that light too. So even if you're closing your eyes and you have a, a little ambient light in your bedroom or the TV's on in the background, your body's still picking up those photosensors and affecting those hormones and that deep sleep. So which kind of brings to the second part of this, which is blacking out your bedroom. So not only do we want to get off these devices, but we want to make sure our bedroom is as dark as possible. So whether that means putting on um, blackout curtains, um, making sure that there's our alarm clocks and other devices aren't emitting light can go a long way in really creating that darkness necessary to really allow our bodies to go into that deep, deep, deep sleep. So uh, anyway, um, I personally, uh, we don't use any type of uh, light emitting devices in our bedroom. Even our alarm clocks, for instance, um, don't have a light on them or, or, or have a light that can be opted to turn on or off. Um, and so we find that that helps us out as well as much as possible to kind of keep that darkness necessary so that we can fall asleep, um, you know, soundly and um, get the benefits that we're looking for. So anyway, um, just a quick recap, um, just to kind of pull everything together. Uh, our quality of our sleep really is a full day effort. Uh, things that we're doing all day long affects our sleep and the decisions we're making all the way from the very beginning of the day, getting out there, getting in that sunlight, getting our eyes exposed to it, to what we're eating and drinking all day, avoiding those sugars, limiting that alcohol, limiting that caffeine, putting those right nutrients and those building blocks to help that out. Um, avoiding things that are going to raise our cortisol too late in the day, whether it's eating too late, exercising too late, watching um, sports or movies that, uh, um, you know, accelerate our heart rate, or even looking at social media too late in the day. Uh, we want to avoid those things. We want to make sure that we're getting our bedroom cold. We want to make sure that proper temperature is there. And we want to get off those screens at least an hour before our bedtime and keep that bedroom as dark as possible. And if we're willing to do those things, you are going to radically improve your sleep and start getting that rest and, 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 and restorativeness that we all need so that we can get out there in the gloom and post the way we want to post. But uh, anyway, um, if you have any questions, obviously reach out to me. Like I mentioned at the top of the, the podcast, a lot of this information uh, was shared on another podcast by Sean Stevenson, the Model Health Show. So check him out um, and check out other health and wellness leaders out there that are just doing a great job sharing this information. But uh, hopefully this serves you. Hopefully you start getting better sleep if you are struggling with it. Make sure you share this with other people. Uh, if you have a family member, a friend who might be suffering with some sleep, uh, implementing some of these tips are going to be the first thing that I would recommend to try uh, before spending lots of money on sleep studies and machines and all that kind of stuff. Because there's a lot of things that we're just doing on a daily basis that we can maximize to improve our sleep. So anyway, Pax uh, and listeners, I appreciate your time. Can't wait to talk to you next time. And uh, this has been Bones guiding you guys on your hunt for wellness. Thanks for listening to the Hunt for Wellness podcast. 
please rate and review our show and be sure to share it with your F3 brothers. As always, we are looking for inspiring stories to share and health experts to interview. So if that's you, please reach out to me at bones at huntforwellness.com, on the nation's Slack at Bones, or Twitter at HFW Podcast. And until next time, this has been Bones guiding the packs of F3 Nation on their hunt for wellness.